Welcome to the Been There, Got Out podcast. I'm Lisa, a state certified domestic violence advocate and veteran of more than eight years in the trenches of the legal system, the last five successfully representing myself. And I'm Chris. I'm a certified high conflict divorce coach. And between the two of us, we have all this knowledge and experience that we never wanted. But now we can put it to great use, providing expert guidance to people in high conflict divorce and custody situations so you have the best chance in court and beyond. Having the right support from people who get it is so critical to getting you and your children through it as unscathed as possible. And that's exactly what we do through our interviews with experts and other content right here on this podcast. So let's get to it. In this episode of the Been There, Got Out podcast, we welcome educator and child relationship expert, Clarissa Constantine from Parent Tween Connection, who speaks in depth about the foundations of connection to use to ensure that you are your child's safe space, what to do during emotional explosions, and why it's so important to give yourself the space to be human. Take it away, Lisa. It's Lisa from Been There, Got Out, and now we are live for real with my guest Clarissa Constantine. We met, I call it speed dating. It's actually called speed networking. There she is. And we actually saw each other a little bit. Um, And I've learned already that Clarissa's like me. She's very chatty. So love having (laughs) the same thing, Clarissa. (laughs) it's like we text and then the camera's facing the wrong way anyhow i was just saying that i saw you earlier today virtually on one of your mixers with your parent tween connection and it was so much fun and um so you're in colorado i'm in i always say new york because i'm a new yorker i'm a minute from new york but i'm in connecticut Right. So we're in different time zones. So thank you so much for taking Absolutely. the time to come today. But uh, we have a rich topic. And when you and I first met, I was like, we need to hook up because you Absolutely. are in tune with so many people that deal with kids and teenagers. And my background is as a high school English teacher, but the teaching I do now, I am not working with teenagers directly. I'm working with their parents who are in hell with these very difficult um, high-conflict divorces or post-separation abuse stuck in the legal system. And as I said earlier, their number one pain point is their children. And what can they do to help their kids? And especially how to get help their kids get through the situation, how their kids can learn to stand up to a toxic parent, how their kids can learn to enforce boundaries. And so I am so happy to know that you are there with your access to all these experts. So why don't you now officially introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are, because I know you can help them. Absolutely. So first of all, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I love having conversations with other professionals who have contacts with families because, you know, the, the old saying, the old saying goes, it takes a uh, takes a village to raise a child. I almost said it takes a family to raise a village. <laughs> but it, it does take a village. And, and many people just truncate that and just say it takes a village. But the full statement is it takes a village to raise a child. And when you have traumatic experiences, and let's be honest, if it's a high conflict, conflict divorce, there's trauma involved in there for all parties in some fashion, right? I think that's even more when we need to have this village around us to help support the adults, but then also to help support the kids. So um, by way of of background, um, I've actually worked with college-bound high school kids for 24 years. Um, I do SAT and ACT coaching. I don't have my own children. I always say that as a baseline. Like, I'm not one who can be like, here's how to be a parent. But I speak teenager really well because I've done it for two and a half decades, right? Like you said, you know, different teaching. It's still teaching in different ways, but you still pull on what you knew then and really human dynamics are human dynamics and so that's a lot of what i bring in and i also encourage parents to say look you know you don't have to have it all figured out you know when when kids are born there's the you know what to expect when you're expecting and we do these baby showers because we know that you don't have any of the things for the little ones and we know that you don't know any of the things for the little ones but then somehow when 
kids get to like eight and 10 and 12 years old as a society, we seem to think that parents have it all figured out. When in fact, we need to have a like, what to expect when you're expecting a teenager, <laughs> what to exactly. expect, you know, we need to have like a middle school shower so that you can buy all the middle school clothing for your kids because holy crap, do they grow like weeds. And so, you know, just going, hey, you know, it's okay to not know everything, especially when it, when we come into a high conflict environment, ask for help, not just for your kids, but for yourself. And I know that that's what your audience already does because they're reaching out to you. Yes, yes. Well, now I'm already like, they're reaching out to us. But what helps me is having access to experts like you and the people that you're connected with, because we all want to help people get through this as healthy and unscathed as possible, and especially their kids. Right. Right. Yeah. So with that, I know when we were trying to come up with a topic, we came up with a title really quickly. And that's how to strengthen your relationship when your kid is rejecting you. So a lot of people in our community are dealing with not just teenagers, but even younger kids who are being groomed by a toxic other parent to turn against them. And they feel so helpless because they feel like I'm just trying to help my kid. I love my kid. And the other side is saying all these terrible things about me that I have no control over it. And I'm so worried that my relationship is going to be fractured with these uh -huh. kids if it hasn't already been. Right. So I thought... I know you had mentioned um, talking about foundations of connection that I think sure. is probably something that's helpful, not just for kids in our extreme situations, but for any kids in just staying connected with, with parents as they grow older. Absolutely. And really, truly, what's that? I said, as, as the kids grow, grow older. I mean, we're all growing older, but meaning the kids that they have those big transitions. Correct. It's like, I know I stay the same age. They get older and I stay the same. <laughs> so the foundations of connection really truly i think it's not just a matter of working with teenagers or you know work or i don't think they only apply in relationship with teens and tweens i think they're the foundations of connection with humans so as we go through some of these and we you know we'll certainly talk about them as related to when you've got these monstrous obstacles between you and your kiddo honestly, between you and your ex-spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse, but they can also come up in professional environments. They can come up in other familial environments as well. So, um, and what I'll do, I've actually got, and actually, Lisa, yours is in the mail on the way to you. For anyone who's listening, if you'd like a copy of this, you can go right over to the Parent Tween Connection website and download it. Or if you'd like a hard copy, private message me on Instagram or private message Lisa, and I will mail you a hard copy if you want to, like, take the cardboard version <laughs> or the cardstock version and, like, put it up on your pegboard. But to run through them, that all the letters of connection spell out a concept. And, again, I think those are really important for any connection that you're trying to improve, but especially the really high emotion ones. So the first one is create a safe place. The second is observe. The third is non-judgment. The fourth is nod and smile or smile and nod. You know, smile and nod, boys. Smile and nod. We'll come back. The E is explore. Then we go to challenge your truths. This is one of my favorites. And it's actually the section, the chapter that I'm working on in my book right now. Then we have take your time, innovate, own your own story and nurture. Okay. Now I'm so, going to say go back and, and we're going to go yeah. through them. Exactly. <laughs> so create a safe place. This is, I, I threw a post out on social media a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? Most of my peers are most, most folks that I have on social media are my peers. And I asked him, how would you define a safe place? And there were two themes that came back as responses. Number one, a judgment-free zone where I felt like I could be me and that whoever I was and however I showed up was okay. But the second one actually shocked me. It was, I wouldn't know. I've never had one. Right? And so I continue to ask that question and I, I encourage you to consider, hey, What's a safe place for you? Who is a safe place, right? Like Lisa, you're a safe place for your clients, 
right? Because you're not going to judge them for being angry. You're not going to judge them for calling their ex-spouse every name in the book, right? Whether the ex-spouse deserves it or not, right? You recognize that there's a whole lot of emotion here and that calling them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it's okay. You're not going to be like, you're a jerk for calling them that, right? <laughs> no, we actually, you made me think of something. So one thing we say at the beginning of every legal abuse support group meeting is, there's never any need to apologize for cursing, crying, kids, critters, and cigarettes. There you go. <laughs> you got it, right? Yeah. Because you know what? We've got to do what we've got to do. And sometimes yelling and screaming and venting lets it out. Right. But I want you to consider, first of all, think about who your safe space was. Maybe it's somebody like you, Lisa, as a professional. Maybe it's a therapist or a counselor. Um. Maybe it, it's, you know, some people find safety in their house of worship with their mentor in that house of worship. Yeah. Or a pet. a pet. A lot of people, I love how you, I, I, I want to pause because I love how you mention it's a place, but it's also a person. A person yeah. is a safe place. Mm -hmm. So having someone that you can talk to Absolutely. is so important. Absolutely. And so then I want you to think about how you show up for your kid. All right. And I should put the caveat on the front of this. And I, I know, Lisa, you and I agree about this. Number one, you cannot control anyone other than yourself and how you respond to a situation. You cannot control if your ex-spouse is a bleepity, bleepity, bloppity bloop. You cannot control. I do try to censor a little bit and make I, I know. We the load. I come from an educational background, so we know, like, we just, we just have exactly. to. <laughs> um, so you cannot control your ex-spouse. You also cannot control your child, especially if they're a teenager. And that is true whether you have a, a toxic situation with an ex-partner or not. Even yeah. if you're in a blissfully happy marital environment with the person that you bore the child with or adopted the child with, you still can't control your teenager. Okay, so we need to come at this from a perspective of the only thing we can control is ourselves and the way that we choose to respond and the way that we choose to show up. It is infuriating. And I get that sometimes you just want to wring necks or take cast iron pans and like smithereens the other person's brain in between them. Like, I get it. But we still can't do that. <laughs> I know. And what you said made me think of something I often have to tell our clients. Like, I'll say, you know, the way your teenager is acting, I know you want to hear this, but it's not necessarily because they have an abusive other parent. It's because they're a teenager. They're really not pleasant in general. I mean, sometimes they're sometimes. lovely, but I always think of it like they're, they're in a blender. They're much, like, everything is changing. And so this yes. could be attributed to a lot of different things. Certainly they're toxic other parent, but mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it is just the way they are. Right. And, and the fact that they haven't, they haven't learned, they don't have the brain power yet to do the things the way that we would like them to do. So there's a couple of TEDx's, and darn it, I forgot to look it up. I meant to look it up before we talked today. Um, there's a couple of TEDx talks out there about brain development. And what they basically do is, like, they take your hand like this, and they say, okay, if the arm is like the, the spinal column coming up into the brain, imagine that your wrist is like the brain stem. And then if you tuck your thumb in like this, that's where what we call the lizard brain or our mammalian functional survival, you know, fight or flight or freeze brain exists. And then if you were to bend your fingers over, excuse me, from back to front with like, this is the front of the brain. This is where the prefrontal cortex is in the brain. That's the part that lives right behind our forehead. That's the last part to develop. 26 years old, right? Bingo. <laughs> that is where emotional regulation happens. That is where executive function happens. So one of the biggest challenges that I see with parents, again, take like pre-nasty pre situation with ex-spouse, right? You look at your teenager, maybe your 15-year-old, 16-year-old daughter has started developing a body, her hips are widening, she's got developing breasts, and you see this young woman... And it's really easy to forget that her brain is lagging behind. And so you look at this outer representation of what you see physically externally, and we equate that with what should be happening in the brain. Mm -hmm. But her body is going to get to maturation several years before her brain does. So 
Yeah, they're jerks. Partly <laughs> because they just don't have the skills yet. So take that under advisement. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm, I'm glad you, you put that forward. Right? Their brains are lagged behind their bodies. And we can't control anything other than ourselves. Those are kind of like the two ground rules for this conversation. <laughs> so coming back to creating a safe place, when you think about the people who are a safe place for you or the place that's a safe place for you, now I want you to think about how you show up as that safe place for your kid. Okay. Um, straight up, I'll just be honest. Okay. Like my mother was very clear about her expectations when it came to who I was going to marry, what my promiscuity or lack thereof should have been prior to marriage, <laughs> um, that I was expected to go to college, not that they had the funding to pay for it, but that I was expected to go to college. I was expected to use the degree that I earned. What that meant was when I got to a point, we'll go in reverse order of those examples. When I got to a point where I was like, crap, this isn't really what I want to study for the rest of my life. I couldn't go talk to her about the fact that I really should have chosen a different major. I just had to finish it. When we talk about um, promiscuity, had I ended up pregnant before I got married, I could not have talked to my mother about it. My mother was not a safe place for me because she was so hell-bent on what her expectations were prior. Um, marrying my husband. Now, my, my husband's Caucasian, which is what she would have preferred, but let me be clear, he still wasn't what she would have preferred. Mm. And she went to her grave being clear that he was not what she would have preferred. So here's the thing. I'm not saying that as the adults guiding the kids that we shouldn't have opinions and that we shouldn't share our opinions with the kids necessarily. But we've got to be careful about the fact that if we're like, you've got to go to college or you have to marry somebody that, you know, that falls within my parameters or I'm going to go here because I'm just going to go here. If your belief is that, for example, homosexuality is a sin and your kid is gay, you will not be their safe place. If you expect that they're going to become a doctor because that's what every person in your family has ever been. And the kid's like, dude, I want to go be an artist. You're not going to be their safe place. So I want you thinking about this, not just in those contexts, but now let's bring in the divorce situation. You're angry, rightfully so. Your ex-partner is saying shit about you that may or may not be true, <laughs> right? They may be elaborating yes turning your kid against you i get that you're angry i get that it's not fair your job if you want to maintain your connection with your kid is to maintain the connection with your kid irrespective of the toxic ex-partner so it's one of those where like it's it's kind of rotten to say but you've got to take the high road in some of this as unfair as it feels, because if you're not that safe place, here's the deal. Your kids are going to recognize if that other parent is talking trash about you, they're going to recognize that at some point, maybe not yet, but they're going to recognize that that parent, like what they're doing. And then that parent isn't going to be the safe place. And if you are also not that safe place, where's your kid going to go? That's such an important point because we hear all the time, I'm so worried that my, and I felt the same, the same way. What if my kids don't figure it out? They will. 90% of the time, maybe even more than that. I mean, that's my anecdotal experience. That's you know, what we've heard kids. from every expert also. Every single one. They'll figure it out. It may take five years. It may take a decade. We underestimate how savvy kids are. We under, just, again, this is without the toxicity of this kind of a situation. Kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. Way smarter, way savvier, way more observant. So that's a huge, that's a huge issue too, because people who also stay in these toxic marriages say, well, I'm sure my kids don't really know because I hide it. They, they don't hear our conversations. They don't hear our arguments. And we always say they know so much more. I know my kids later heard a lot more than I thought they did. They, they felt it. And as we just had a comment, the truth does always come to light. I just saw that, yeah. And, it's, and that, honestly, it goes down to the whole take your time point. It's going to take time. So without going too far, like down one rabbit hole, observe. 
we often think about observe, you know, like with what our five senses can identify. What do I see? What do I hear? One area where I think we don't do as much effective observation is with emotions. Mm. And this is something adults suck at <laughs> generally. Like I was, I was in a coaching session. I, I've got a business coach. We were talking today, talking about something. And she goes, what emotion does that bring up with you? And I was like, oof. I couldn't describe the emotion. So uh, another resource, and you can go to Google, Google emotion wheel. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it starts with kind of like the, depending which one you look at, like six to 10 primary emotions, happy, sad, angry, whatever, in the middle. And then each kind of concentric circle out gets into more and more detail about you know, well, are you this emotion or that emotion? Because like, we can kind of think about the nuance when the words are given to us, but sometimes we struggle to name it precisely. The other resource that I will recommend, I just had it earlier. What the heck did I do with it? I don't know. Oh, here it is. Um, I am a huge Brene Brown fan and her oh, book. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of people here who are as well. Yeah. Atlas of the heart is fantastic. She goes into some really good distinctions and, like real life examples about different emotions. So what I would recommend to the parents who are listening is to start by digging into your own emotions and work to like practice naming them for yourself because then you can model that for your kiddo. And then the second piece that I think is really important in observing is to track what you observe, right? Like when a baby is born, often a pediatrician or the, the gynecologist, neonatologist will say, track how much they eat and how frequently. Track how much they poop, right? Right. How much they weigh. I mean, we used to get those little books that right. would say this many months they're doing this and, you know, exactly. all the little baby books. Yeah. And we don't do that. We don't do that with middle schoolers or high schoolers. We don't track any of that. Or is it just a comment that was like, we were trained to suppress our emotions so much. We don't know what to feel for real anymore. And it's not societally acceptable to feel. That goes in to being a safe place for your kiddo. When they're being a jerk hole, okay. <laughs> Let them be the jerk hole. Don't get mad at them for having an emotion. Let them have the emotion and be like, wow, that feels like a really big emotion. What's going on? Right. That's one of the right. top things that we talk about with these situations is like, you have to validate their emotions. They're having mm -hmm. it. They have to work through that emotion. Exactly. I, I, I'm going to interject with a tiny little story yeah. because this is what happens every time I talk to someone that has, co you know, comments that really resonate with me. So during my very difficult um, divorce in the beginning, my son was a teenager and he uh, was, he, he was, I found him a great therapist, but they were spending a lot of time talking about like chess and debate and politics. And I'd be like, when are you guys going to like get to the stuff that's happening? And the therapist is like, don't worry about it. And then at some point, my son started flipping out at home and getting like really angry. And I was like, I, you have to leave. Like, I can't, I can't deal with this. And I called the therapist and the therapist said, this is progress because he is finally feeling his emotions. This is the most important thing that you have to show. You're not gonna say he has to leave now, he has to go to a friend's house. You have to withstand it and be there for him because this is how he knows that you're the person that he can trust and he's allowed to have these feelings. And so I think when Absolutely. you said that, it made me think of th that experience, which was really hard. It was like a tornado. It didn't last a very long time, but we did clash for a while and and i it was it was so tough but it makes perfect sense because he was dealing with another parent who wasn't there for him right so one of but, us like you said had to be the safe the safe place and here's the thing is that kids deal with this even when parents stay together again mm. even if we're talking a happily married home that is normal for kids to lose their shit yeah <laughs> you know so there's an aspect here where uh, yeah, you're going to have toxic partners. We just had somebody comment about like, all my ex does is manipulate them and think that all I say is bad mouth them. I know. And that's why I'm saying like, eventually, like right now, they're not going to know the difference. They're not going to see the light, but it will come out eventually. But also keep in mind that a fair amount of the behavior that you're seeing isn't just because your ex is a jerk hole. 
Yeah. It's because your kid's a jerk hole because he's a teenager. <laughs> so it's like, be careful that you don't necessarily blame all of the behaviors that your kid is exhibiting on the ex-partner being a jerk. Because some of it's just like your kid learning to navigate all of this. But that's where the observing comes in and like the tracking of things. Because then, you know, when you have the next pediatrician's appointment, for example, you can say in a less emotional fashion, hey, I've noticed that these have been some of the dietary changes. Or, you know, if you have a daughter who's menstruating and doesn't understand how to navigate PMS, maybe there's a physiological, biological something going on. Maybe she's got PCOS or maybe she's having horrific cycles and, you know, she's maybe she's lacking a nutrient in her diet that's making her absolutely cray cray. Can't say I've never been there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't, and I'm not the product of a nasty divorce, but if I, you know, if we had been able to, if, if you can get resources for your kids like that, like that's where it's like, Hey, maybe there's actually a health issue going on. You can go to the pediatrician and be like, here's what I've observed. Here's what I've observed in the food patterns changing. Here's what I've observed in the sleep patterns changing. Here's what I've observed in behavior changes because there, again, there could be more going on than we realize. So mm -hmm. paying attention to the emotions and then tracking things, journaling, those are the two things that I'd offer from an observation perspective, because then you can also have a conversation with your kiddo um, and be like, look, here's what I recognize. Here's what I'm seeing. And it's less... Um, it's less partial. It's more impartial when you can be like, look, I've noticed that the last three days when you've come in the house, you kind of remind me of Eeyore. <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> you never know what I'm going to say, Lisa. You'll find that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. I love it. And by the way, I'm looking at a comment that's saying, oh my God, I couldn't deal with my son's emotions. And I said, go to your dad's and I feel so bad now. I did too, and I made that mistake, and my son couldn't go to his dad, so it made it even worse. Um, he's okay, he's, he's fine. We all make mistakes, we all have so much other things going on, like it's, it's okay. It's right. And you know what, that's a perfect segue into the first end, Lisa, which is non-judgment. This is super important, not only of our kids, but of ourselves. You know, there's a phrase, I said this to my husband the other day. He was having a particularly down day and he was just beating himself up, you know, like we all do. And I looked at him and I said, would you stop listening to the itty bitty shitty committee? <laughs> and he just looked at me. He's like, what the bleep is that? I'm like, it's the itty bitty shitty committee. Every single one of us has it in our head. It's the thing that tells us, well, you suck. What makes you think you should do that? God, why did you think that was a good idea? Dude, really? How stupid are you? Come on, moron. We've all got it. Mm -hmm. So number one, we have to give ourselves space to be human, right? So to the point, to the, the comment of like, I feel so bad right now. Look, you did it. You know different for next time, yeah. right? What and I would say, go you ahead. did it, and you're not saying, so what? <laughs> right. You're, and, you're reflecting. Right. And that goes back to the observe. These are not linear, by the way. They're a really fun, like, cat got to the ball of yarn kind of mess. <laughs> okay. So, like, think about, okay, you observed that, you, that that happened. Pardon me. But I'd also, and this is jumping ahead to the explore, think about... What was it that triggered you when you said, I couldn't handle his emotions? I want you to go back and think about like, what was it that you couldn't handle? Because I had a therapist or coach actually say to me, and this goes also to own your own story, um, said to me years and years ago, he said, emotional like explosions don't happen out of nowhere. We have these experiences over time, over time, over time, lots and lots and lots of experiences that land in often traumatic fashions. So think of them as like, like a rag that has been soaked in gasoline and it's just sitting there waiting for your kid to have big emotions. Mm. And then your kid having big emotions lights the rag on fire. That's the spark. And boom, all of a sudden, it's this big thing. So 
think about, and again, it's an invitation. Thank you for sharing. Like, hey, I couldn't handle that. I feel so badly. All right, well, like you said, like we can go back. We can make different choices next time. If you can observe that it happened and then explore why it happened and own your own experience in that that contributed to why it happened, again, these are the foundations of connection, right? Yeah. So give yourself that grace. So the other point that I'd like to make about non-judgment, and again, this comes from my own experience with my mom. Um, I, there are two major distinctions that I think are important. Number one, there's a difference between listening and obeying. Mm. How many times do you look at your kid and go, you, you never listen to me? As in like, you mean listen to say, you don't do what I tell you to do. That's obedience, not Very listen. Really interesting. Right? Yeah. And that's, again, it's semantics, but it's important because if you're expecting pure obedience, like I tell my dog to sit and his ass better be on the floor. Is that what you expect of your 12 year old? Because if so, you're not going to get it. Doesn't work that way with 12 year olds. Or just if you get it, what are you losing? Correct. In the process. Correct. So listening versus obeying is, uh, is an important distinction. But secondly, behavior versus the person. So there's a difference between I don't like you and I don't like your behavior. Oftentimes we get so caught up and I'm guilty of this myself with, with some of my friends, kids, like you're being such a bleep. Are they really being a bleep or are they acting like a bleep? I had a friend of mine tell me she's a, she calls herself a bonus mom. She never had children of her own. She married a man who has two children. Mm -hmm. And at one point she looked straight at her son and she goes, do you realize how much of an asshole you sound like right now? And he just stopped and looked at her. And she was like, I didn't say that you were an asshole. I said, do you realize how much of an asshole you sound like right now? Again, it's semantics, but it's a distinction between you behaved badly or poorly and you are a bad person. Mm -hmm. Right? And I so, think kids often just take it the same way. Correct. Because we don't even think about it. That's what we mean. Well, not what we mean, but that's what we say. And so right. why shouldn't they take it that way? You're a jerk. That is a, that's an identity, not your behavior sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's a piece for non-judgment to consider. I would also invite, and oh my God, if anybody thinks that any of us is free from judgment, let's just go back and look at vaccines versus anti-vaccines. Let's look at Biden versus Trump versus the man in the moon. Okay. How many times did we make comments about, well, if you voted for Trump, then you are a insert descriptor here. Or if you voted for Biden, then you are a versus if you didn't vote, you believe or something else. Right. Cause here's the other thing is that the human brain creates meaning. And I've seen this myself. My dad, my mom died a little over three years ago. My dad remarried this year. And I'm thrilled for him. Like he seems blissfully happy. But there have definitely been some points of hurt on my end because of the way some things went down. I am 44 years old and there was still hurt feelings as he went and married somebody other than my mother. Mm -hmm. Right. And there are times where like, I've felt like he, you know, that my husband and I are less important in his life. And again, I'm 44 years old with a fully formed frontal lobe. And I remember very clearly looking at him and being like, dude, I'm really glad we did not navigate this when I was 14. Mm. <laughs> Cause at least yeah. now I have the, the presence of, of like the cognitive capacity to recognize it's not about me. And I also have the terminology that I can voice this to you and we can work through it. Right. Plus, plus you're independent, mm -hmm. so you're not stuck in the situation and you have your own safe place. I do. I do. Right. And, but I still have had situations where like, I only get a snippet here and a snippet there. 
and my brain fills in the in-between and I end up with hurt feelings. And then I find out what really happened. I find more out than just these two snippets. And I'm like, wow, I feel kind of like a jerk for, for thinking that, you know, they didn't mean to leave us out or they didn't mean to do this or whatever it is. But at least now, again, as an adult, I can do that. Kids can't do that. So again, coming back to their brains can't process all of that. Recognize that the human default is to make meaning where there isn't already meaning. Mm -hmm. Okay. So other areas for non-judgment, you know, again, behavior versus identity. Um, think about how you show up relative to your expectations for your kiddos. What are your beliefs around, again, sexuality, college, career, who they're going to be hanging out with? How do you evaluate their friends? What are the things that you're saying about the decisions that they make? What are the decisions? What are the things that you're saying about their, their parent? Cause that's the other aspect of this, right? Is it your co your ex partner is still their parent. And if that parent is talking trash about you, that parent is making it harder for them because you are their parent as well. And they're half, they're half each of you. Yeah. So be aware of that. So nod and smile. Number four. How long does 30 seconds feel like? Oh, depends what you're doing. I know, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I challenge you to consider the next time you ask your kiddo a question that is more than a yes, no question. Count to 30. And give them a chance to respond, especially young men, because their brains, you know, we talked about that whole brain doesn't function or doesn't fully form till 25 or 26. Mm -hmm. Boys lag behind. We see that with the rest of the physiology. So, you know, they're a little bit further behind the girls. Girls can be in that 23 to 24 range. Guys are sometimes 26, 27 before the brain is fully there. Ask them a question or if they start to share something, count to 30. Interesting. I love it. Turn around, wash the dishes, go pet the dog, find the speck on the wall. Fabulously interesting. Like, do what you need to do to give them space to respond. Excellent. And then when they start to respond, shut up and give them another 30 seconds. <laughs> and then, but then when you're ready, when you're feeling ready to respond, Ask yourself, am I responding from a place of my emotional hurt or am I responding from a place of supporting them in their own growth? Right. Or I'm thinking place of curiosity. Ah, yes. I love that perspective, which is the C, which is challenge your truths and get curious. Oh, right? oops, sorry. <laughs> no, you're, I love it. Right. Um, so questions like, well, that's interesting. Can you tell me more about... And then pull something out of what they just mentioned. Or like, mm -hmm. oh, I wouldn't have thought about that. That's really interesting. How about this piece? Or sometimes what I'll say with my students, I'll just be like, huh, tell me more. And like, but you, I, I, you can't bullshit them, okay? They're bullshit detectors. Like their laptop, their bullshit meters are super high. So you got to be genuine in that curiosity, you know? Yeah. Just. Let them tell you. That's a key component of being a safe place, by the way. Yeah. One question I like to ask a lot, um, and Chris teases me for it, is like, they'll say something and I'll say, well, what did you think about it? So instead of just reporting to me, think. And I know a lot of kids who are dealing with a narcissistic parent in particular, mm -hmm. um, and I've seen it personally, that parent tends to answer for them and not let them to have a, a voice. Absolutely. So what you're saying is so important for the other parent to just be quiet and let them develop that voice that's been suppressed so exactly. often by that Absolutely. other parent. Absolutely. So if you think back to when we were in grade school, we learned the five W's and H as foundations of writing an essay, right? Who, what, where, when, why, and how. Those are great interrogatives for a reason. Like it's not just good for seventh grade essays. Ask your kiddo like, oh, well, who were you with? What do you like about that person? Where did you go? Where do you want to go the next time you hang out? When do you think you'll see them again? What do you like about their parents, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, what they were wearing? 
Right, right. And I you should know. stress here that when we're talking about this, we're talking about talking to your kid about their own life, not what they did with the other parent, because Correct. then it could be grilling. You don't want to do that. No. Not at In all. In fact, I would probably say, ask as little as possible about the other parent and say jack diddly about them. Right. Just, that's going to be a nod and smile. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. How'd you like it? Like, just asking about the, about the kid's experience. Because, exactly. oh, man, is that a dangerous place to go? <laughs> yes. Yes, for right. a number of reasons. Right? So, explore. I like to think of the E as either explore or educate. And honestly, mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot about this in the DEI world. You know, whether we're talking about... Um, you know, equity, like racial equity, racial opportunities based on race. You know, we saw recently, uh, or like right now, you know, gay marriage is legal. There are concerns that it may not be based on current Supreme Court here in the U.S., all that jazz. We've got a lot of DEI conversations on the table. And there's um, there's a, 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 a an aspect of, of validity, I think, to the fact that, you know, as a Caucasian, it's not necessarily a black person's responsibility to educate me on what their experience has been. It's my responsibility to be like, well, let me ask you or let me go do some research. Let me look. Uh, DEI is diversity, equity and inclusion. OK, um, you know, it's it's like, hey, like one of our podcasts that, that's coming out soon is with a woman who is a life coach for parents who are supporting children in the LGBTQIA uh, community. Now, some people might be like, what the heck is LGBTQIA? Like, I get the first couple of letters, but what are the rest of them? Well, it's our responsibility to go explore and to educate ourselves. So conversations like this, thank you for having me, Lisa, right? Like exploring with, with folks who are more, excuse me, are more knowledgeable about things than we are. I saw somebody else asking, um, you know, what books can I access? There's, gosh, there's a whole ton of them depending on the topic, right? But finding coaches, finding workshops, Google, Wikipedia, although Wikipedia is sometimes is questionable, I know, for some folks. But explore and, again, get curious. That's where challenge your truths and curiosity comes in. Like you said, curiosity about your kid. Who is this being? Like, think back to when they were a baby and you, like, they smiled for the first time or they laughed for the first time or they rolled over and you were, like, super excited and, like, just the pure unadulterated joy in those pieces and you didn't get mad at them when they had a blowout because they couldn't control it, right? You had baby poop everywhere. Think about the Great emotion. Analogy. Right? Great analogy. But now their blowouts are emotional, not poop. <laughs> right, right. Because their no, body hopefully can control the poop. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. It's like what you're saying where when they're babies, everything is amazing and fascinating. Why does that stop right. when they're tweens and teens? Mm -hmm. It's still really fascinating, but mm -hmm. it's scary to us. Well, and I think part of it is because their curiosity and the way that they sometimes act in their curiosity has more immediate implications. Yeah. And it scares us. We don't want to talk to them about their sexual curiosity because we don't want to acknowledge that they're having sex. Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk to them about their curiosity about drugs or about alcohol or about whatever all because we don't want to be thinking about the fact that they're drinking or the fact that they're getting into drugs. Right. But if we can maintain that, comes back, that comes back to being the safe place. Bingo. It's like, Bingo. don't you want your kids to be able to talk to you about that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. So That's how are you going to make them feel comfortable talking to you about that stuff? Because when they can't talk to an adult, they rely on who knows whom to, to figure out well, exactly and one of the things that i say to parents re again regardless of marital sat status or situation is if you think your kids aren't having these conversations that's not what you need to be concerned about you need to recognize that your kids are having the conversation and the question is whether you're going to be a part of it Ooh, yes and whether you're going to have that opportunity to influence because like i said i wasn't going to go talk to my mom about sex straight up that's such an important line you just said about, are you going to have that opportunity to influence? Because mm -hmm. if you're not part of the conversation, you're not going to have any influence. You're mm -hmm. going to be off to the side yelling, don't or do or whatever. And they're not going to be listening. Mm -hmm. They don't trust your opinion. 
And, and that becomes challenging. And again, coming back to challenge your truths as examples, and this is coming from a judgment-free space, but statements of, of what I've seen. Um, the woman who, whose experience was literally the genesis of parent-twin connection, she is devout in a belief system in which um, birth control is not condoned. And she had a promiscuous 15-year-old. Mm. Those were a couple of truths that clashed very, very harshly for her. She had to challenge what she believed to be true and what she believed to be best for her kid. And what she found was that what was true for her and what was best for her wasn't necessarily true or best for her kid. And that's really hard. That's really mm. hard. Great example in, at this time right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it comes up in, you know, we see this with people talking about kids drinking. In Europe, they don't have underage drinking issues, partly because they don't have legal drinking limits. <laughs> but right. it's more a culture in Europe that having a glass of wine with dinner isn't a big thing. It's not an illicit activity. Right now, I'm not saying go buy your kids alcohol and support them in having a rager in your home. That is illegal in this country, 100 percent. But the way that you approach, you know, for example, if um, you can tell your kids, as an example, I would really prefer that you not explore drinking with your friends. If you're curious, as an example, then I will take you out for your first drinks when you're 21 or you can have a sip of my wine to taste it if that feels comfortable for you. But then what do you do? Like if your kid knows they're in deep trouble, if they're at a party where there's alcohol, guess what? There's going to be a party with alcohol. I guarantee it. Okay. How do you maintain that safety for your kid so that they call you instead of getting in the car with someone who's been drinking? Exactly. In some families, they use their phone. All you have to do is text me two periods, and I know that you need help. And if I have Life360 on my phone, I can track you. Or I will call you and say, I'm mom, your kid. Hey, Lisa, it's mom. We just had a family emergency. I need to know where you are because I need to come get you. But the key is, is that you can't punish them for reaching out to you. Exactly. Or they won't reach out. So again, that's being a safe place, but it's also challenging your truth. It's getting curious and talk to your kids. Ask them, would you feel comfortable calling me if you were in that situation? And they say no. Ask them, hey, what can I do to, to make you comfortable doing that? Because really, I want you alive. I love I that question. I love that follow-up question instead of just why, why not? I thought, you know, the normal thing would be, are you comfortable calling me? No, why not? But you didn't say that. You said, what can I do to make you feel comfortable? Because I can't change them. I can't change the way they feel. I can only change my behavior and the way that I show up. Mm. So again, that comes back to challenge your truths. What do I know to be true? I'm a great parent. And, and you know what? I'm sure most humans are solid parents. But we can all improve in our own relationships. How can I do better? Right. Do you feel I mean, like I listen to you? Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like I actually pay attention to you when we're talking? No, not really. Okay. How can I do better? Because I want you to know that when you're talking to me, I'm listening to you. Well, you kind of, you're kind of on your phone all the time. Okay, cool. Great. My phone's down. I'm with you. What do we need to do? Right? How can I do better is challenging your truths and getting curious. It's also enrolling them in solutions mm. and validating their feelings. Going back earlier to the comment about like, we were never allowed to feel. We don't know what to feel. You know, hey, I appreciate your insight. Thank you. I'll work on that. You just absolutely elevated yourself in that child's mind, that teenager's mind, that manager's mind. You also gave your child um, a sense of power and control where what they do has an effect on you. Which, guess and what? I know if they have a narcissistic, manipulative other parent, that's not happening. 
Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I want to. I want to be mindful of that. So we've got about ten minutes. I, I want to make sure we don't go over an hour. But of course, okay. Clarissa, you know this is going to be another <laughs> right. conversation, another day. For because sure. This is what happens sometimes. All right. Take your time. It takes time. I'm going to say this recognizing I may ruffle a couple, couple of feathers, okay? You're allowed, we ruffle feathers all the time. Go ahead. The likelihood is your partnership with their other parent did not dissolve overnight. There were creaks and cracks along the way, more than likely, that maybe you didn't recognize them, but there were probably chinks in the armor. It's not always an overnight thing. Right. It took time for things to devolve. It will take time for them to evolve. So know that it's going to take some time. One of my therapists said to me, my early therapist, when you have two people in relationship, any kind of relationship, so let's focus on parent to the kid. You guys are used to dancing this dance right now. Again, you can only control yourself. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to change the dance pattern. Mm -hmm. Your kid is going to freak out. Right, yeah. Lisa, you said it about your kiddo when like when they, with the therapist, when they actually started getting into something, right? You're not dancing the same dance anymore. Right. They're going to freak out. Expect that it might get a little bit worse before it gets better as you start adjusting some aspects in your world. But a lot worse before it gets better. <laughs> ultimately, they will likely fall into a new pattern with you, but also recognize that they can change the pattern too. And you can only control how you continue to dance with them. If they start doing some cray cray like this, you're like, no, you can step out and you can be like, I'm going to wait until you settle down and come back into a dance. Mm -hmm. So take your time. The process takes time. Owning your own story. I think this is really hard when we get into abusive situations, right? Where, where, whether it's victims of narcissism, victims of DV, you know, domestic violence, whatever all. Okay. Yeah we still have to own, like we were talking earlier with the mom who was like, God, I sent my kid away. I feel so horrible. Go back and think about like, what is the rag that was soaked in gasoline? And you know what? Yeah. Maybe your kid did behave in a fashion that was inappropriate. Yes. Maybe the ex-partner is behaving unkindly, illegally, whatever the case may be. But if there is an emotional reaction, it's because there was an emotional trigger that likely existed before this particular circumstance. So you've got to own how you show off. And part of that is recognizing, hey, I didn't handle that well. I would like to work to repair it. And acknowledging like, hey, I screwed up. Like, you're not perfect. Kids, Brene Brown talks about this a lot. Like owning that you're vulnerable and that you're not perfect actually elevates you in somebody's eyes because you're willing to admit that you were wrong and you made a mistake and you're willing to innovate, which is the next one. I okay, pause for one second. Like what you just said, I, I feel like when somebody apologizes, it's so disarming. Yeah. Right. Especially because they likely aren't getting that from the other parent. Exactly. You know, as okay. showing up as human. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry to interrupt. Just have a second. No, agreed. I skipped innovate. Innovate is like, look, there's always new ways of doing this. One of the things that I've observed is many parents go, I hated the way that my parents treated me. So I'm going to do the exact opposite. And as, and maybe it's a case, like if you're on a second marriage, you're like, oh, I did this and I'm going to do it this way. Or I married this. So I'm going to marry that. Right? Like we tend to go for opposites. And I think what we forget in the process is that there's innumerable shades of gray. And I don't mean 50 shades of gray. I just mean like there's 179.9 degrees in between the 180 that we often do. Mm -hmm. And so innovating, looking for new ways. How can I do this differently? And enrolling your kid in that process disarms them if they're not given that authority or that capacity in the other home and gives them a sense of ownership. And it gives them a sense of being part of something bigger than themselves as they help to create solutions. Hey, right, because they have so we... little control of so many things in their life. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. 
hey, how can we work on this together, Lisa? I'm really tired of having the same stupid argument over and over and over. What can I do differently? What could Love you it. do differently? Mm -hmm. And let's try that for a week. And let's, let's, and then let's talk, or two weeks or whatever an appropriate time frame is that you agree on. Let's try it and let's see what changes. This the last is one is conflict resolution. Yes. General, like not just with kids, but with anybody, these are things you could teach your kids that mm -hmm. they can do with their own peers. Exactly. Exactly. And that you can do with your, with your peers. Right. That you can do at work you can do with your boss or if you're the boss that you can do with your team mm -hmm. a lot of these are leadership foundations nobody teaches yeah. leadership you know so yeah. things to consider so the last one is nurture and this is one that i'm gonna say again at the risk of ruffling feathers women suck at when it comes to nurturing ourselves you're not right? ruffling feathers <laughs> you're validating feathers <laughs> feathers <laughs> Feathers, feathers. <laughs> we do everything for everybody else, right? Somebody just made a comment about, um, uh, you know, my, my, my ex-partner is trying to be their friend or um, giving my, my ex is giving everything that my son asks for. Okay. You know what? Maybe right now your kid needs that. That's not about you. It's about your kid. There's usually, there's so much going on underneath that too with why and Correct. that's a whole other topic too. Correct. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, again, the only thing we can do is control how we show up. We cannot show up as the person we want to be or the, and I'm going to say the word best. I don't like better and best because that implies mm -hmm. judgment. We cannot show up as the human we want to be if we're not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. We Easier said than done, especially in this community, because like I told you earlier, the people here will do anything for their kids, but not for themselves. Bingo. I was just going to ask, but why will you not do everything for yourself that is worthy of exploration? Good point. Okay. Meditation, church, synagogue, your safe place, physical exercise, eating well. If you are not taking care of yourself, you cannot show up as the best person you want to be. You just can't. Not or the, the best, best parent. The best parent up. you want to be. Yeah. Because if, you, if you're not the best person, you can't be the best any subdivision of that person. You can't be the best parent. You can't be the best adult child to your own parents. You can't be the best friend. You can't be the best employee, employer, the best volunteer. Yeah. So, and, and I struggle with it, too. And I don't even have my own kids. <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting here going, golly, you know, it's five o'clock. I haven't been to the gym. I've got a commitment this evening. All the things, all the things. But it's like, I know if I go to the gym after my evening commitment tonight, I will sleep better tonight. Am I dog tired? Yes. But you know what? Going to the gym for a half an hour isn't going to make that big of a difference on when I go to bed tonight. Because the alternative is either coming back and working, because let's be honest, entrepreneur, the work never ends. Or I can go sit on the couch with my husband, which might be a nice alternative. But what's going to help me most? Right. Right. All right. Ooh, we got like one more minute because we got to keep it under an hour so we can yep. flip it all over the place. So yep. Clarissa, we have to continue this conversation. This Love has to. been excellent. Thank so, you. so helpful. Thank you for having me. A, uh, a lot of people are going to see this later. So can you just say how people can find you or the parent tween connection? Because this is going to be Absolutely. a bigger connection between us. Absolutely. So parent tween connection, there's one T P A R E N T W E E N connection.com on Facebook, on Instagram, on everywhere. <laughs> um, yes. And if you do want a hard copy of the foundations of connection, either comment on the video, I'll go back and look through those, or please feel free to shoot me a note in Instagram messenger or come join our Facebook group, send a carrier pigeon, email me. It's Clarissa at parentwingconnection.com. You can find me.
All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Clarissa, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Lisa. Have a great night, everybody. And hey, happy holidays. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Been There Got Out podcast. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us easily on all major social media, but especially Instagram and YouTube. If you think we might be able to help you with your own situation, just visit beenthergotout.com and click the button to schedule a complimentary discovery call. Thanks again, and see you next time.